Chapter Thirty Eight of the Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. The Conquest by Oscar Mijot. Chapter Thirty Eight. Sanctimonious Hypocrisy. I was preparing to see the biggest crop I had ever sown with Orlean helping me by bringing the dinner to the field and doing some chores. During the fall we had put the farm into winter wheat, and I had rented the other Magori County farm. I hired a steam rig to break two hundred acres of prairie on the Tip County homesteads, for which I was to pay three hundred dollars an acre, and haul the coal from Cologne, a distance of thirty-five miles. The track having been laid to that point, on the extension west from Callias. I intended to break one hundred acres with my horses and put it into flax. I had figured that with a good crop it would go a long way toward helping me get out of debt. I worked away feverishly, for I had gotten deeper into debt by helping my folks get the land in Tip County. After putting in fifteen acres of spring wheat, I hauled farm machinery to my sister's claim and then began hauling coal from Cologne. It was on Friday. I was driving two horses and two mules abreast, hitched to a wagon loaded with fifty hundred pounds of coal, and trailing another with thirty hundred pounds, when one of the mules got unruly, going down a hill, swerved to one side, and in less time than it takes to tell it, both wagons had turned turtle over a fifteen-foot embankment and I was under eight thousand pounds of coal. With both wagons upside down, and the hind wagon box splintered almost to kindling, that I was not hurt was due to the fact that the grade had been built but a few days previously, had not settled, and the loose dirt had prevented a crash. I attempted to jump when I saw the oncoming disaster, but caught my foot in the brake rope, which pulled me under the loads. A day and a half was lost in getting the wreck cleared, so I could proceed to my sister's claim, from where I had intended going home to my wife, fifteen miles away. I had left the Reverend in charge, after he and Ethel had said about all the evil things words could express, and he, finding that I was inclined to be peaceful, had shown his hatred of me in every conceivable manner, until Orlean, who could never bear noise or quarrelling, decided it would be better that I go away and perhaps he would quit. I did not get home that trip on account of the delay caused by the wreck, but sent my sister with a letter stating that I would come home the next trip and describing the accident. I went back to Cologne, and while eating supper someone told me three coloured people were in Cologne, and one of them was a sick woman. I could hardly believe what I heard. My appetite vanished and I rose from the table, paid the cashier, and left the place, going to the hotel around the corner, and there sat my wife. I went to her side and whispered, Orlean, what in heaven's name are you doing here? And why did you come out in such weather? She was still very sick and wheezed when she answered, trembling at the same time. You said I could go home until I got well. Yes, I know, I answered, controlling my excitement but to leave home in such weather is foolhardy. It had been snowing all day, and was slippery and cold outside. And besides, I argued, 
you should never have left home until I returned. Didn't you get my letter? I inquired, looking at her with a puzzled expression. No, she replied, appearing bewildered. But I saw Ollie hand something to Papa. I then recalled that I had addressed the letter to him. But, I went on, I wrote you a letter last week that you should have received not later than Saturday. I, I, never received it, she answered, and seemed frightened. I could not understand what had taken place. I left my wife two weeks before, feeling that I held her affections, and had thought only of the time we'd be settled at last with her well again. The Reverend had said so much about her going home that I had consented, but had stipulated that I would wait until she was better and would then see whether we could afford it or not. Suddenly a horrible suspicion struck me, with such force as almost to stagger me. But calming myself, I decided to talk to the elder. He came in about that time and looked very peculiar when he saw me. The town was full of people that night, and he had some difficulty in getting a room, but had finally succeeded in getting one in a small rooming house, and to it we now helped Orlean, who was anything but well. As we carried her, I could hardly suppress the words that came to my lips to say to him when we got into the room, but thought it best not to say anything. Ethel, who was sitting there when we entered, never deigned to speak to me but her eyes conveyed the enmity within. The reverend was saying many kind words, but I was convinced they were all pretense and that he was up to some dirty trick. I was further convinced that he was not only an arrant hypocrite, but an enemy of humanity as well, and utterly heartless. When he and Ethel had entered our home three weeks before, neither shed a tear nor showed any emotion whatever, and had not even referred to the death of the baby, but set up a quarrel that never ceased after I went away. Reverend, I said, will you and Ethel kindly leave the room for a few minutes? I would like to speak with Orlean alone. They never designed to move an inch, but finally the Reverend said, will not leave unless Orlean says so. In that moment he appeared the most contemptible person I ever knew. My wife began crying, and said she wanted to see her mother, that she was sick and wanted to go home until she got well. I was angry all over, and turned on the preacher, exclaiming hotly, Rev. McCrallan, I left you in charge of my wife, out of respect for you as her father. But, here I thundered in a terrible voice, you have been up to some low-lived trick, and if I thought you were trying to alienate my wife's affections, or had done so, I would stop this thing right here and sue you, if you were worth anything. At this he flushed up and answered angrily, I'm worth as much as you. He was a poor hand at anything but quarrelling. But knowing we'd made a scene, I said no more. It was a long night. Orlean was restless and wheezed and coughed all through the night. I had wondered since why I did not take the bull by the horns and settle the matter then, but guess it was for the sake of peace that I've accepted the situation and remained quiet. I decided it would be best to let her go home without a big row, and when she was recovered, she could come home, and all would be well. My wife had informed me that the Claves had kept up the house, paid for the groceries and half of the instalments, while her father paid for the other half, but never bought anything to eat, nor sent any money home, only bringing eggs, butter, and chickens. 
when he came into the city three or four times a year. But Clave's name was not on the contract for the home, only her father's name appearing. Her father was extremely vain, and I had not pleased him because I was independent, and he did not like independent people. She also told me that her father always kept up a row when he was at home, but always charged it to everybody else. The next morning, just before we started for the depot, I said, I'll step into the bank and get a cheque cashed and give Orlean some money. I haven't much, but I want her to have her own money. Never mind, my son, just never mind. I can get along, said the Reverend, keeping his head turned and appearing ill at ease though I thought nothing of that at the time. I wouldn't think of such a thing, I answered, protesting that he was not able to pay her way. I wouldn't think of allowing her to accept it. Now, now, why do you go on so? Haven't I told you I have enough? He answered in a tenor voice, trying to appear winsome. Feeling that I knew his disposition, I said no more, but as we were passing the bank, I started to enter, saying to my wife, I'm going to get you some money. She caught me by the sleeve and cried excitedly. No, 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 don't, because I have money, hesitating a moment and repeated. I have money. You have money, I repeated, appearing to misunderstand her statement. How did you get money? Had a check cashed, she answered nervously. Oh, I see, I said. How much? Fifty dollars, she answered, clinging to my arm. "'Good gracious, Orlean!' I exclaimed, near to fright. "'We haven't got that much in the bank.' "'Oh, oh, I didn't want to!' And then called to her father, who was just coming with the baggage. "'Papa, papa, you give Oscar back that money. He hasn't got it. Oh, oh, I didn't want to do this. But you said it would be all right, and that the cashier at the bank, where you got it cashed, called up the bank at Callias and said the cheque was all right. Oh, oh, she went on, beside herself with excitement, and holding her arms, trembling and repeating, I didn't want to do this. I can see the look in his face to this day. All the hypocrisy and pretense vanished, leaving him a weak, shame-faced creature, and looking from one side to the other, stammered out, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, you, you... You know, you told her she should write a cheque for any money she needed, and she did, she did it. Here again my despair for peace overruled my good judgment. Instead of stopping the matter, then and there, I spoke up gravely, saying, I don't mind Orleans going home. In fact, I want her to go home, and have anything to help her get well, and please her. But I haven't the money to spare. Her sickness with a doctor coming into the country twice daily, has been very expensive, and we just have not the money, that is all. When he saw I was not going to put a stop to it, he took courage and spoke sneakily. Well, the man in the bank at Carlin called up the bank of Callias, and they said the money was there. Oh, I said, as far as that goes, I had five hundred dollars there last week. It has all been checked out but some of the checks likely are still out. I took $25 of the money and gave Orlean $25. Her ticket was $18. I went with them as far as Callias to see how my account stood. I kissed Orlean goodbye before leaving the train at Callias. Then I went directly to the bank 
and deposited the twenty-five dollars. The checks I had given had come in that morning, and even after depositing the twenty-five, I found my account was still overdrawn thirty dollars. End chapter thirty-eight.